Hi guys, welcome to another episode of Women's Strength Collective, the podcast. Each episode you'll be joining me, Shay Zaru, and we'll be discussing a topic related to women's lifting, health and life. I made the very easy decision last week to not post a podcast episode. It felt really, I guess, icky to me to put anything on social media that was not related to the murder of George Floyd, the protests that were going on around the world, and also the similarities in Australia with our Indigenous communities. It definitely highlighted for a lot of people, and myself included in this, how we've contributed over time, but also how we really need to do better. Social media has been full of great information and information that needs to be heard from those who don't benefit from the same privilege. And it honestly just felt like there was no better time than to be completely present on social media, but to be listening. By the time that this goes live, I would have finished Chrissy King's Anti-Racism for Wellness Professionals course. Um, I think it's going to be an incredible resource. I'm going to link the website in my bio because she still has some spots available. And if anyone is in the health and professional world, if you are going through any financial difficulty, but you want to do this course, please reach out to me as I would love to get you in there. Just quickly touching on today's episode before we jump right in. As you can see, it's part one of part two. The reason for that is after I did this episode with Renee, I actually spoke to a few different mums who were involved in different types of training to get their real life experiences. And I had such great conversations with them that I didn't want to cut it, but I obviously didn't want to have a super long episode. So this is part one and part two will be coming out next week. Today, though, I am joined by Renee Ludlow, who is based in Brisbane and owns Dawnless Performance. Renee has been involved in powerlifting for many, many years and spends a large chunk of her time working with clients who are pregnant and working through the different trimesters and also in postpartum as well. So we spend a large chunk of time in the episode talking about uh, training through pregnancy and the considerations that need to be made and then also the considerations that need to be made for postpartum as well. So I hope you guys enjoy today's episode. I had so much fun recording it and Renee is an awesome resource. Welcome Renee to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I am super excited because I came across you maybe a month ago now and after seeing your posts and I went on your website, I thought to myself that I have to have you at the event in October, which is when I messaged you. But I also wanted to talk to you as well today about all the work that you do and then also about your background in powerlifting too, because I actually had no idea. So if you just (laughs) want to give yourself a bit of an introduction and then also maybe about like where your passion comes from working with women. Yeah, so I own Dortmund's Performance um, and I live in in Brisbane and have uh, my my little PT studio in Brisbane. I started Dauntless Performance about three years ago and I've been lifting for probably about about seven years, I think I figured out last night. So I lift in GPC and it has been, I will admit it has been a couple of years since I've stepped on the platform um, just with getting the business up and running. But the love of powerlifting is, is definitely still nice and strong there. My passion for uh, working with women has been something that's been there for quite a while. I figured out in my early 20s that I wanted to work with women in one way or another and I 
realized that it wasn't until I started lifting and then subsequently started coaching that it was it was I was able to hone in on that passion of working with women in relation to strength training in relation to um, pelvic floor pregnancy postpartum um, all of those sorts of things so I feel like as I've gone through my own journey of lifting and coaching it's allowed me to kind of dial into really dial into the the section of of women uh, women's health that I want to work with and Obviously, the topic today, we're talking about pregnancy and also postpartum as well, which is a hugely important topic. And I think one thing that I wanted to cover and cover all bases with, if we can, is the common misconceptions with pregnancy, because it seems like a bit of a minefield, to be honest. You know, you kind of get all this information from, you get social media and then your GP says one thing and then you might see, you know, a a lady who is so close to giving birth and she's still squatting and there's just so many different ways to approach training and exercising through pregnancy. But what are some of the misconceptions that are most common that you find? I feel like there's a lot of misconceptions. There's a lot of uh, misinformation out there as well. I think one of the one of the big things that pregnant women get told is there's a couple of things there's one in the sense that do what you've always done but then there's another thing where it's like listen to your body and although they are well-meaning statements and they're probably coming from someone like a GP i think for women particularly who are strength training it's all well and good for them to say that and, and while it is an empowering statement it's not enough because Take, for instance, if someone says, do you do what you've always done? But it doesn't take into consideration the fact that your body is continually changing inside and out. So you've got hormones racing through your body to support your baby growing, to actually help your baby to grow. You've got your belly and your breasts are starting to get bigger. You've got adjustments happening to your pelvic floor. Your body is literally changing from from woe to go over nine months of being pregnant and then you know throw into that the aspect of social media um you've got the expectations some women have around being pregnant other women don't have expectations and you can understand why there is little confusion you don't know whether to go from a to b or to c so i feel like it's about providing a little bit more information and some tools in order to navigate those statements like do what you've always done and listen to your body. In terms of doing what you've always done, I feel like we need to think about the why behind why you're doing what you've always done. Are you doing it because you feel like you have something to prove to someone? Are you doing it because you feel like it is genuinely going to help you at a certain point in your pregnancy? Or are you doing it because you might be an athlete in your sport, whether that is powerlifting or something else, and you don't, you aren't quite ready to, to let that go. And, and even in that, you can delve deep into that as well. So I feel like with that statement, it's just a matter of, okay, if we want to do what we've always done, then that's fine. But we need to take a couple of things into consideration. How is it going to affect you during your pregnancy chapter? How is it going to affect you when you move from being pregnant into being postpartum? What implications is it going to have on your body? Is the risk worth the reward that you're taking? And then it's it's also about, okay, if you want to do that, then that's fine. But how are you going to do that? How are you going to do that exercise that honours where you're at in your pregnancy, honours your body, your core, your pelvic floor, those things that are changing? How is it going to honour your athletic, your long-term athleticism? 
Yeah, I think it's hard to officially. I want to go back quickly and I just want to touch on that mental aspect in terms of if you are involved in a sport, say it is powerlifting, Mm -hmm. strongman, CrossFit, whatever it is, how do you suggest someone approach kind of mentally letting go of that idea of them being this certain athlete and then having to adapt so much to, during their pregnancy? It's hard. It's, it's something that we call, there's a term that we use quite a lot um, and it's called an athlete brain. And I feel like we all have this in terms of, uh, we all have this to some, group, some degree, I think particularly more as women, not just pregnant women either, where we feel like we have something to prove to someone um, and we feel like we we need to keep going and we have that thought in the back of our mind where it's like we have to go, we have to prove ourselves, we have to finish this set, we have to push through, we have to show that we're capable, that being pregnant isn't going to affect us in any way, shape or form. And while that to some degree serves its purpose, I feel like we almost have to think about pregnancy in the sense of it's a long-term deload. And I think it's probably a more holistic approach to your sport, your athleticism, to think about your movements while you're pregnant. So think about would you, okay, so there's a couple of trains that I'm going along here. First and foremost, if you were continue, going to continue your sport with your body ever changing through pregnancy, Think about the way that you're going to move through a squat or a deadlift. Because of the way that your belly is, you have to make considerations for that. A mother's instinct will want to be to protect her baby and her belly. Okay, so if you've got someone, say, for example, it's probably easier to visualize it if you've got a weightlifter, so they're doing like their cleaner jerks. Hmm. Right, they have to, their belly starts to get that big that they're not going to, that they have to adjust the bar, the bar path around their belly right? It's the same thing as if we're squatting or we're deadlifting. If you're a pregnant powerlifter, your belly's going to start getting in the way of your squats. So if, you're, if you want to honour your sport and honour your athleticism and honour the technique that you're working at, allow yourself to deload and allow yourself to just give, give yourself a little bit of grace to maintain your technique and your athleticism through that period. And then in the sense as well, I feel like there's a little bit of it where being pregnant, you know that imminently your life is, your entire life is about to change. Mm. You're about to change as a woman. You're about, you're not just about to birth your babe. You're about to birth yourself into motherhood as well. So I feel like there's a little bit of that athlete brain where it's like, I just want to hold on to something that is me for that little bit longer. I don't want to let it go yet. And I 110% get that. I get that. Um, And that's a hard one to grapple with. That's a hard one to reconcile within yourself so I think that if you are prepared to do the work with that if you're prepared to kind of go this isn't this isn't a forever thing it's just a for now then that sort of sets you up into when you are ready to return to training postpartum Um, you're you're able to to get yourself back into doing some some strength training allow yourself the grace to do that gently with patience um, and you will get back to where you are it might just not be as as quickly as you had anticipated or that society tells you that you should because screw societal expectations absolutely i think it's also hard (laughs) because obviously when people are on social media 
being pregnant can look so different from one person to the next person to the next person. And there used to be this expectation Mm -hmm. of, or not, not so much expectation, but just this common, uh, I guess, viewpoint of, you know, you shouldn't train throughout pregnancy. You should only be doing, you know, that low impact, you know, go for a walk, go do some yoga or something like that. And now it's kind of switched a little bit in terms of now it's encouraged that women do keep up their exercise. But when you look at both, both can be harmful. Absolutely. Absolutely. Think about it. I kind of think about it in the sense that I feel like back in the day when our mothers were pregnant, right, they'd just be like, let's wrap them in cotton wool let's not let them do anything they're going to sit on a couch they're going to be weighted on hand and foot and like you said I feel like in our generation that pendulum has swung the other way and we just need to find this happy medium that women aren't made out of glass sorry pregnant women let me rephrase that pregnant women aren't made out of glass but they're also not indestructible right we are literally growing this little soul and this little human our body is growing another human Okay, and it's like we need to honour that. So I feel like it's it's about taking each person as they are. There is no one size that fits all. Pregnancy, childbirth, your fourth trimester, um, raising a child, it's all unpredictable. So I feel like we just take it as it comes, deal with what's in front of us right now, control what we can. And in terms of your training, if you're someone that... that has always done strength training, then great, continue that. But let's just make some considerations. Mm -hmm. Let's just pull the intensity of your training back. Let's just reduce the volume a little bit. Um, And it all depends on how you're feeling on the day and in that week. You know, some women are going to suffer from severe morning sickness and they literally won't get to the gym in their first trimester because they're tired, they feel sick, they're trying to adjust to things. Then they might do a complete 180 in their second trimester. They get their energy level back. They're feeling a little bit more themselves. You know, their belly might be growing a little bit, you know, and then you've got other women that might might be the complete opposite. You've got some women who might be more sensitive and aware of their core and their pelvic floor, and then you've got other women that don't have any symptoms at all. So it's about kind of taking the person that's in front of you, taking where they're at, and not just in training, like holistically in life as well, and making adjustments. And be prepared to make adjustments on a weekly basis because one week of pregnancy isn't going to be the same as the next. Yeah. And I know you've just touched on some of the considerations that you'd essentially make for a strength training athlete. So talking about intensity and volume, what other considerations you do you encourage people to make across the board? Because I know we've said that there's no like typical one size fits all, but are there common considerations you encourage people to take on board? Yeah. So when one of my girls um, or I have a client that comes to me who um, lets me know that they're pregnant, the first thing I generally go to, and I do this with my clients actually, whether they're pregnant or not, is I work in the framework of developing a strategy. Now, what I mean by strategy is that that's an umbrella term that I use. And what comes under strategy is things like um, taking assessment of what their breath is doing, what their pressure is doing. So when we talk about pressure, we're talking about pressure in our um, intra-abdominal pressure and pressure onto our pelvic floor. Then we take a look at their posture, so how they um, move and how they stand and their, their general posture. 
then we have a look at the tension that they have in their body. So not just tension when they're lifting, but also general tension. And then we put all of that together through movement. So we take those four strings and then glue it all together through the movement. And that's not just, it won't just necessarily be a strategy for pregnancy nine months. It may be a strategy for an exercise or it may be a strategy for um, a trimester or it may be a strategy um, that they can take outside of the gym and implement in their day-to-day life because in reality we're probably only in the gym for a couple of hours of a day and they need to be able to take what we do in the gym and apply it to life outside of that as well. I'm sure the breathing but- and the pelvic floor obviously play a huge part in that as well and posture as well these are all things that are obviously applicable outside of the gym I just want to chat about the pelvic floor quickly so when you do your assessments for the pelvic floor and I spoke about in episode one with um, Megan Jones from Canada we spoke a lot about incontinence in lifting and we spoke about it uh, uh, the pelvic floor a lot as well but when you look at it specifically in relation to pregnancy what are we kind of looking for in this area? In terms of if a woman was to feel symptoms or like considerations that we would make or... Considerations okay. that we would make and how that obviously plays into as well the giving birth process. Yeah, yeah. So obviously part of our pelvic floor is... Part of the role is it, of it is to support things like our pelvic organs, okay? Um, and just to provide us with continence and all that sort of stuff. So... When we have a baby in our belly, and obviously the further along you get into pregnancy, the more pressure that we have in our literally intra-abdominal pressure and also therefore pressure on our pelvic floor because we literally have a baby sitting on it, right, along with everything else it's meant to be doing. So what we want to do is we want to we make sure that we're not providing any, I guess, a additional stress onto that pelvic floor that it already has okay so we don't want to stress an already stressed system so with that in mind it would be things like being mindful of high impact exercises Um, it would be mindful of increasing abdominal pressure that is already existing because um, and I'm sure Megan talked about this I vaguely recall her talking about this that when we have inter when we increase the intra-abdominal pressure within our abdomen that then puts pressure onto our pelvic floor, right? So we, we don't want to make sure that we're increasing that, that pressure any more than we have to. And things that contribute to intra-abdominal pressure are things like breath holding, so being mindful that we're not necessarily encouraging our pregnant athletes to do things like the salva manoeuvres or even breath holds. And, and in all honesty, we probably should be questioning an athlete as to why they would want to be working at those weights where they would need to be doing those sorts of breast manoeuvres anyway, okay? So we want to make sure that we're not necessarily increasing that, which then increases the pressure on our pelvic floor. So no, I would shy athletes away from doing those high impacts, shy them away from doing the, the um, things that require them to hold their breath and hold and brace um, unnecessarily. I would be mindful of exercises where... Um, They're having to bear down a lot as well, uh, which kind of comes into a little bit of that breath hold too. And yeah, they would kind of be the general things that I would, for a generally healthy client who is pregnant, they would kind of be the top three things that I would be mindful of. Obviously, when we give birth, um, our pelvic floor has to 
I guess, relax in order to allow that baby, which is where we get, um, you know, as we get further along into the pregnancy, we get all of those hormones that start to um, encourage our laxity in our joints so that our pelvis can actually um, relax and come apart in order for that baby to, to come out, right? So going through birth, we're all going to have those hormones, right? Whether we deliver our, our child vaginally or through C-section. Some women obviously aren't or choose not to deliver vaginally, but they're still going to probably go through that same process, all right, with labour and all that sort of stuff. And they're still going to have, through their pregnancy, they still will have had that pressure on that pelvic floor. It just won't have been to the same extent if a, if um, a woman has birth vaginally. If a woman has birth vaginally, she has a lot more pressure on her pelvic floor. Okay, because she has to relax it. It has to. It has to be allowed to relax, so that the child can birth straight after childbirth. That's generally why they kind of um, call it the fourth trimester. There's a whole lot of stuff that happens in there, but you'll find that a lot of women within the first few weeks after delivering above vaginally will experience those pelvic floor symptoms, so things like incontinence and that sort of stuff, because their pelvic floor has gone through the ringer, all right? And then our pelvic floor, like any other injury, needs time in order to recover. And generally, that will sort of be anywhere between 6 to 12 weeks for a generally healthy, healthy woman. So it kind of takes that little bit, of, little bit of time to initially come back to providing incontinence, providing support through that pelvic floor for your pelvic organs and all those sorts of things. Yeah, I like how you call it the fourth trimester as well. When I spoke to Tara yeah. this morning, she's like, you know, the full the full time I was feeling so good, so much energy, my body felt great. I was lifting weights literally the day before I gave birth. And then she said, as soon as I had bub, it was the hardest time after that. And she said, yeah, she would have loved to have a bit more of a plan. She lost, that's where she lost a lot of her muscle mass. And yeah, she went to go down to like a couple of weeks later to show people a burpee. And she's like, whoa, my core is not where <laughs> this is ever was. Yeah. Even when I was, you know, just about to give birth, she's like, I felt so good. So I love how you call it the fourth trimester yeah. because obviously it's a time where it takes a lot of planning as well. Yeah, absolutely. And whether you have a positive birth experience or a negative birth experience, your body, your physical body goes through a trauma delivering a child. And I feel like a lot of people forget that. They forget that your body has literally been through the ringer delivering this child. And we need to allow ourselves some time, some grace, some self-compassion in order to be able to allow ourselves to repair from that, to recover from that. When women return, and I think this is a really big thing that irks me a lot when you've got those bounce back programs where they're like, bounce back six weeks after birth. And I was like, love, your pelvic floor probably hasn't even like sorted itself out six weeks. But it's, it's almost like you wouldn't return back to like, before there is no way that you would be returning back to the intensity that you were meant to be training at like 12 months before you fell pregnant there's no way that you're going to be bouncing back to that six weeks after you've given birth you wouldn't do that if you had any other injury so why would you do that after you've given birth and that's just you that's not taking into account the fact that you probably have a lack of sleep you probably haven't eaten properly you probably haven't showered properly 
you're still bonding with your baby. If you're breastfeeding, you're probably still trying to figure out some sort of routine that works for you and Bob and trying to figure out this whole breastfeeding thing. And then you bring your partner or your husband or whoever whoever that is in as well. You're trying to navigate a relationship with them. They're trying to figure out what the hell is going on. You've got all of this stuff happening in your life and you've got all these other stresses happening in your life. It's not just the fact that your body has been through childbirth. We got to look at things holistically. And when someone comes back in that postpartum phase, do you have a similar strategy to when they would first approach you and tell you that they, they are pregnant? Would you follow those same um, that strategy that you laid out before? Yes, definitely. That that strategy is generally what I what I base most of my coaching off is whether whether a woman is pregnant, whether she's postpartum, whether she has pelvic floor considerations like a prolapse or something like that or whether they are a generally healthy person, that strategy is based on, my coaching is based a lot on that. So it might just be tweaked slightly depending on where that woman is in the, in the journey of her life, at what chapter she's in in her journey. I encourage my clients who return to training postpartum to think of things in um, a, a with the, we're still progressively overloading their training. So we're still starting at, we have a new baseline. Postpartum should be your new baseline. Um, I really discourage my clients from going back and looking at where they were before they got pregnant or two years ago or, you know, at, at whatever point I discourage them from that. It's like your body has changed, your body has birthed a baby, whether that is vaginally or through a C-section. You've gone through that trauma this is your new baseline. Postpartum is forever, right? Pregnancy, that's temporary. Postpartum is forever. Your body will never be the same that it was, which is both a good thing and a bad thing. Um, but it will never be the same that it was. So let's look at this as a new baseline. This is what we're starting with. Let's move forward from here. Let's slowly get you back into what we're doing. Let's progressively overload. And if you start to experience any symptoms, then let's pull it back and figure out what's going on and then continue forward. Yeah, it's so tricky because by the sounds of it, you're almost creating if you're in if you're used to being into that such an athlete perspective of training, you're almost essentially creating a new version of yourself and discovering training is going to look like for that new version of yourself. And it's obviously so tricky because Again, social media comes into this if you are a user of Instagram and you can literally just scroll back and see where yep. you're at, you know, before bub. And you're also, you might be following some people who have had just had baby and maybe they're able to get straight back into training. It's so difficult, yep. I imagine, to navigate and to find that kind of happy medium between getting back into something you love but finding what that looks like. Yeah. And the thing is, is that it's not, don't discount that you won't necessarily get back there. That's not, that's not what I'm saying at all. I'm not saying that it's not possible to be that elite level athlete again. Absolutely. Um, I just feel like it, it, you need to allow yourself some grace and some compassion and some time to get yourself back there because you're adjusting to a new type of life now as well. I feel like, uh, it, yeah, it, it definitely is possible. It's just a matter of, um, you know, you look at some CrossFit athletes and I can think of one particular person in mind, but I can't recall her name, where it's probably taken her probably about 12 months to two years to get back to the level that she was at. And 
yeah, it's it's allowing yourself the grace of time. I don't think that I can say that enough to to let yourself be patient to get there and use it as an opportunity. That's the other thing. If you do, if you are in that athlete mindset, think about it as an opportunity to work on your technique, your instabilities. Think about it as a new baseline to make your technique, your lifts, whatever it is that you're training in, make them better than what they were pre-pregnancy. Use your downtime wisely. Yeah, you can also uh, focus on the mental aspect. If you are, say, in that competitive zone, you can also focus on that aspect of things. I think there are obviously a lot of things you could do during that time and coming back as well. I think it's just would be such a mental hurdle to allow yourself Mm. to get into the space to view it as an opportunity. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's the same thing with, with, um, like, I know I kind of keep comparing it in terms of injury, but you know, it's the same sort of thing if someone has a severe injury. You know, you get you you can get stuck in that mindset where it is um it's hard. Um, you know, you just uh, feel like you need to have that right team around you and those right support people around you to pick you up and dust you off and and provide you with that support that you need. Yeah, I actually had down in my notes as well, and I want to kind of jump to it because you just touched on it. Then, in terms of like having a really good support team. For someone who is getting back into their training in that postpartum phase, do you have, say, an idea of what that circle should look like? Yeah, so um, definitely, even even during pregnancy, I really um, encourage my clients to go and um, connect with a women's health physio. Doing it through pregnancy is just allows you the opportunity to find that baseline for your pelvic floor because obviously the trauma that it goes through when we give birth. So finding a women's health physio that is, um, and I can't remember, I think I vaguely remember someone in one of your podcasts talking about this. Maybe it was Megan about the fact that find a physio who encourages strength training rather than finding someone who doesn't necessarily see the benefits or agrees with strength training. You want to be able to have someone who is in that corner and understands your love of strength training. So definitely women's health physio. I think definitely a PT or a coach or whatever you want to call it, someone who understands the considerations of pregnancy and postpartum, understands the considerations of pelvic floor, understands the considerations of diastasis, it would just be the same as any other support network. If you're someone that prefers to have a dietitian or a nutritionist, absolutely someone who understands the considerations for pregnancy in that. I don't, I don't necessarily think that it's too different to any other phase of your life as a woman. The only, the only extras that I would put in there would be definitely the coach and the, and the women's health physio, um, those people who understand Uh, pregnancy postpartum. I just want to touch on the common phrase that we spoke about before in terms of listening to your body. And I know you said it is so, so broad. So what do you deem as listening to your body? Yeah. So listening to your body, um, this encompasses training in general, I feel, but when we're talking specifically with pregnancy, it's all well and good for someone to tell you to listen to your body. But the thing is, is that we need to know what we're listening for. Mm. So if we aren't given any guidance on what to listen for, we're up, we're up shit creek, right? So in terms of um, when it comes to pregnancy, I think first and foremost, like I keep saying, we have to understand that our body is no longer in its normal state, right? It's shifting and it's changing 
And it's that's as a result of Bobby growing and in support of Bobby growing as well. So basically, one of the things that I tell my clients, I tell my girls, my women, is that listen to that little voice in the back of your head that questions and doubts. Okay, and this is kind of one of those moments where I want you to tap into that. And it's, it's more in the sense of it'll be that voice that kind of tells us to go harder or go faster or just to push through or just to keep up or you can do it. It's only one rep or, you know, like we have to be lifting more. I have to, I have to, I've got to prove this to whoever, right? It's that little voice that I want you to tune into and listen to through pregnancy because it's telling you that for a reason, Right. When we're talking about physically, it's things like you need to be aware of symptoms like leaking, um, whether that's urine, feces or gas. So that is basically we're creating that intra-abdominal pressure um, that our pelvic floor is finding difficult to support, right? So it's our pelvic floor isn't providing that continence, which is one of its jobs. Another one is like pelvic or vaginal pain, pressure or, or just general discomfort hip, tailbone or lower back, pain, pressure or discomfort, any coning of our abdomen at the linear alba. So our linear alba is that connective tissue, that fascia that connects the two sides of what most people will know as our six-pack muscle, okay? So when our belly starts to grow, our, our abdomen has to separate. It's a normal part of pregnancy. Diastasis recti is a normal part of pregnancy. But what we want to do is we don't want to put any extra pressure on that fascia that's being stretched, right? And what will happen is that it will literally look like a little cone, a little dome in our belly, okay? So we want to make sure that we're sort of shying away from that. Things like being mindful of our breath holding. So I, lift, I, I touched on that a, a little earlier in the sense that um, whether that's lifting a barbell or just lifting a pen or a bag off the floor, when we hold our breath, that increases our intra-abdominal pressure, which then increases pressure on our pelvic floor. Um, any pulling, aching, sharp, dull pains in our abdomen or our pelvis, any fatigue, dizziness or increased heart rates, um, and any, any just general aches and pains that don't feel, in inverted commas, normal, mm -hmm. okay, that are a little unusual for you during this time. So I know that that probably sounds like a very long and daunting list, <laughs> but but it's it's just about having some points there to kind of know what it is in fact that we are listening for because the thing is as well is that if you've never been pregnant before you don't know what's normal and what's not you know and even then if you are a woman who has had multiple pregnancies no two pregnancy is the same so it's just about having some guideposts to know what we're looking for and then allowing yourself to listen to your body yeah, I think too as well for a lot of people who do barbell training as well, some of those things like you might, it just might be a really off day. You might have just done something a little off with your technique and you might get a say dull pain, but I guess it's actually recognizing that in that time, it's probably something you need to be aware of. Whereas if you're kind of in that training environment and you are in the middle of a block or something like that that may have been just a misgroove but if you are actually pregnant it's probably something to actually take quite seriously and to look out for yeah absolutely and it comes back to that thought of like let's try not to stress an already stressed system mm. okay particularly with that pelvic floor and with your abdomen and those sorts of things your body is already going through changes it's already being stressed let's not stress 
put ad- additional stress on it. Yeah. So when you do have one of your clients who is pregnant and they're moving through the different phases of pregnancy, what commonly changes throughout that time period? In terms of their exercises or? Yeah, let's use a someone who does strength training as an example, because I know it's quite broad otherwise. Yeah. If we have someone who's moving through and they're having, you know, minimal complications and they feel mm-hmm. quite good, what does their training usually look like? Is it some lower reps, obviously lower intensity? Yeah, so their first trimester, depending on how they're feeling, there wouldn't be too much that changes. I would probably bring it back to something like you're working at maybe, if we're talking percentages, I would probably say you're working at maybe like a, a 50 to 60, maybe even push it up to 65, 70% of their 1RM. Depending on how they're moving though, I would probably drop the intensity a little bit. Sorry, drop the volume a little bit. Yeah, it's all going to depend on how they feel. Um, I would probably stick it around something around 60, 65% um, and drop the volume. I would also start, obviously, we, we take stock of their strategy as well. So take stock of the way that they're breathing and all those sorts of stuff because that's going to set the framework for the next two trimesters Mm. right so we want to take stock and assessment of what they do what their tendencies are right now so that then we can implement things as we go further along I would probably incorporate a little bit more without generalizing things I would probably incorporate a little bit more glute work because our glutes are going to help support our pelvic and our hip stability um, which then if we can help to support that pelvic stability, that's going to help support that core a little bit more as well. So in terms of um, that sort of stuff, I would probably start being mindful of, there aren't going to be things that I generally would label unsafe in terms of exercises, but I would start to question certain core exercises that I have my clients doing to see whether it's actually the risk is worth the reward and what we're actually trying to achieve. So think of it as not too much changes, but we're maybe switching the perspective of their training. Mm -hmm. So instead of developing strength, we're more having the goal and the perspective that let's try and support this body through this upcoming pregnancy. So then second trimester, depending on that, how that client's feeling, then we're going to start adjusting things. Depends on how she starts to feel through her own body, not just her belly starting to grow or her boobs are starting to get bigger it's how she's feeling about things as well Um, I would continue to sort of work a little bit on those glutes um, see how she's feeling through that pelvic floor definitely implement those strategies that we established in that first trimester and just in all honesty I would probably just play these weights by ear so I would generally just kind of go how's it feeling today maybe move into a little bit of a I don't want to kind of label it as RPE, but maybe move into like a little bit of an RPE type thing rather than having specific set percentages. Yeah, I think this is actually um, a great example of where RPE could be utilized yeah, really, really yeah. effectively. Yep. Um, in terms of, say, a lot of people will move into doing, like there's a, there's a general consensus out there that, you know, once you kind of hit 16, 20, 24 weeks, that we don't do anything laying down anymore. Yeah. My my thought provoking question to you would be why? What do you why? Like uh, uh, why are we not doing that? 
when we, the reason behind, traditionally, the reason behind why they say that is because there's a big blood vessel, right, that we're trying to avoid putting pressure on. Now, think about it in the sense that if we're doing an exercise, like if we're doing some bench press or we're doing like some core exercises on our back or something like that, providing that your client feels comfortable hopping up and down off the floor, what I would be mindful is kind of go, well, we're not actually spending hours laying on our back. We might spend 30 seconds to a minute doing that exercise. And if this exercise is going to provide benefit and a reward to this client, then we might be okay doing it for that little bit of time. And there are things that we can do to minimize that risk. So if you're doing some core work on the floor or you're doing like some floor press or something like that, then encourage your client to maybe just roll onto her side during the rest periods and then we roll back. So it's those sorts of things where it's like, okay, challenge your thinking. It's okay if we do some stuff lying on your back. Let's just maybe think about how we're doing it though. Yeah, I'm sure it's based upon how the client is actually feeling in that position as well, if they're uncomfortable. I actually said to Kiara this morning, and everyone will hear this in after I speak to Renee, is it's interesting that something like bench is discouraged, but something like, say, yoga is encouraged, which is actually questionably put your body into different positions that are probably not as safe as what you would be in a bench. And so it yeah. is obviously interesting to think about it like that and to start to question, I guess, like you were saying, like why why is this a big no-no from a lot of different people when this is encouraged and it's the, kind of the exact same thing? Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think it's just it comes back to one why and two how. Mm. And then, you know, like we can throw a spanner in the works at the end of that. Just because you can doesn't mean that you should. Okay. Just because you can do a one RM at 38 weeks doesn't mean that you necessarily should. Okay. Um, so then we just kind of get into that, that third trimester, bringing it back. And I, I generally just wing it through the third trimester. I don't necessarily have anything in solid stone I take it how my client feels on the day if she comes in and I can see her waddling in and she's feeling sore um, but she knows that moving makes her feel a little better and relieves a little bit of pain through things and all that sort of stuff I'll generally just kind of go how are you feeling today what do you have in mind that you want to do how can I support you through movement and it may just be something where we do a little bit of gentle movement or we might just stick with some upper body or we pull it back right to doing just you know free weights dumbbells those sorts of things it literally is ask your client how she's feeling and what she wants to have a goal at okay she might be feeling like she's just like the absolute goddess and she's just you know just feeling super strong and super confident and she wants to do some you know some some heavier weights or something like that then that's okay obviously use use a bit of common sense and be mindful of what you get her to do like I said if she's coming in sore and sorry and and a bit stiff then honor that as well I think it's it's just honor where she's at and moving into say that fourth trimester so when you'd move into that postpartum what kind of considerations would you be making in that time how would a training session kind of look for a person coming back from having bub and how does that progress over time so generally for my clients i would discourage them from coming back any earlier than six weeks postpartum i 
like to encourage them to, again, give them that time to adjust to life as being a mom, give them a time to give them time to adjust to having a brand new baby. Um, a lot of the time I find that their mind is ready before their body is ready. Um, and if that's the case, that's okay. We will work with some gentle sort of maybe not so much stretching, but just some gentle movements in terms of getting those hips moving again, getting them connected with their core and their pelvic floor, a lot of breath awareness drills. So sort of allowing them the, the time to get connected with their body again. I would generally prescribe that within the first, if they're ready to get going within a couple of like a month, then I would prescribe that. I would also strongly encourage them to do that for another month. So we're looking like eight weeks into that into that postpartum if they're feeling um, ready to come back at about that six eight week mark we will still start with breath awareness drills we still want to get them to be mindful of what's happening with their core their pelvic floor and remember at this early stage their pelvic floor is still recovering their core is still recovering and we do a lot of exercises that we reassess and re-implement that strategy that we did when they were pregnant so we get them to feel what's going on. We adjust their breathing. And then once they sort of start feeling a little more confident to get going again, then we start introducing things like, okay, well, we might just start with a goblet squat and see how that feels. How's your pelvic floor feel through a squat? Does it feel like something's, feel like a tampon's falling out or does it feel unsupported? Okay, cool. Let's just adjust that, right? Mm -hmm. um, Let's think about if there's someone who is confident back at deadlifts, okay, well, maybe let's just pull it back and let's see what it feels like to do some Romanian deadlifts or some block pulls, see how that feels. But it's definitely being mindful of their strategy. Your, your system is repairing. Your system is still under stress. We want to make sure that we're supporting it so that we're not actually creating issues while your body is still repairing because that's the thing. While it's repairing... You can get back into the gym and you can be doing your breathing and bracing, but your core hasn't repaired properly. That, that diastasis hasn't come back together or it hasn't, it hasn't repaired to the best of its ability yet. So we want to make sure that we're honouring that too, that we're supporting that, we're supporting your pelvic floor. And a lot of new mums are sleep deprived. So be mindful of that. They're going to walk in and they might be feeling on top of the world and they might have not even slept the night before. So how do you honour that? We want to make sure that we honour that as well. Yeah. And when you talk about these different core exercises, what are some typical ones that you would use for a client coming back in that postpartum phase? Yeah, so my favorite go-to is definitely a dead bug. Yeah. Um, we do some dead bugs. We do some pile-off press. Pile-off press obviously supports your obliques, so anti-rotational exercise, your dead bugs. Um, but you'll find that with a lot of pregnant women where their, their body has been through this trauma, that they, kind of like Kiara mentioned, that there was no core strength there, none at all, or very little. So it's about pulling the dead bud back to literally, okay, well, let's get connected with that transverse abdominus again. All I want you to do is draw it on and hold it. That's it. Just start with that, right? Don't necessarily throw them into the deep end with advanced versions of exercises. Get creative and pull it right back. If there's something that a client can't do, sub it out for another exercise that they feel confident and able to do. You can do things like dead bugs. You can do, you can do things like a, a McGill sit-up or an adjusted McGill sit-up or something like that, right? Get creative, try things out and see what your client feels. 
being mindful when we're doing core exercises postpartum to really look for that coning because if it's going to happen, it's going to happen through those exercises. Dead bugs are hard at the best of times. <laughs> oh, girl. Yes. Yes. <laughs> They're actually one of my most complained exercises from clients, I reckon. <laughs> And all of their variations, yeah. My <laughs> girls are the same. My clients are the same, yeah. Why are we doing this again? Because it's good for you. <laughs> but they, yeah, absolutely. They're one of my favourite go-tos. And even for pregnant women, they're one of my go-tos. Um, they might just be a little, little more difficult for, for pregnant women because it gets to the point where you can't literally draw that belly on um, mm. because there is nothing to draw on. So we, we tend to go to things that are going to support those obliques a little bit more. Um, I just want to touch back on the pelvic floor because I spoke to Megan again in episode one and we spoke about the pelvic floor and she was in a situation where she actually had a really tight pelvic floor. And so she went yes. through pregnancy and she said that her pelvic floor is actually better now than it was before she actually had Charlie, which is her baby girl. Yeah, so um, our, our pelvic floor is think of our pelvic floor as like a muscle system within itself. Now, and I think Megan touched on this as well, but our pelvic floor doesn't just need to be strong. Our pelvic floor needs to learn how to relax. Mm. It also needs to learn how to have endurance and it also needs to be coordinated. So that's where we have those different types of incontinence. So you've got that stress, ur stress urinary continence that Megan spoke about. And I think she may have also spoken about urge incontinence urge, as well. Yeah. yeah. So you've got those, those um, two types of incontinence. And understand as well that when we're talking about incontinence, we're not just talking about urinary incontinence. We're talking about fecal incontinence and gas as well because part of our pelvic floor is to help support continence in general, mm. okay? So I have, I, I, this is personally, I have noticed there's um, no studies that I've read or anything like that. I'm not saying that they're out there, but I haven't kind of come across as anything. But um, I've seen a little bit of a correlation in terms of women who do quite a lot of strength training, say strong glutes, strong core, um, those sorts of stuff, they tend to potentially have a tighter pelvic floor than women who don't because our glutes play a role in our pelvic stability. Our pelvic stability, obviously, when we are in a neutral position, a neutral posture, um, that, that encompasses our pelvic stability. So not having an anterior or a posterior tilt, um, that then supports provides extra support for our pelvic floor when we're in a neutral position. Okay. So women who have strong glutes, who have, who have their core on, they work a lot with their core. So obviously our core is intrinsically linked to our pelvic floor as well. They tend to have a little stronger, stronger pelvic floor than those women who don't, which then means that when we have that tight pelvic floor is that think about you having your bicep curl in a static hold that's going to get fatigued, that's going to get tired at some point in time and you ask it to do what it's meant to do. So you're asking it to, to do a curl. It's not going to work because it's already tired. It's already, it's already tapped out. Our pelvic floor is the same. When it's constantly on and then you ask it to do its job of maintaining continence, it's like, no, nah, I'm out, I'm done, I'm tapped out. I can't do it anymore. Mm. Okay? So there's that aspect of it as well. In terms of the other thing that I've noticed too is that, and I could get on my soapbox with this, but I'll try and refrain, is that 
we as women are told that we shouldn't take up space physically, right? So what do we do from little girls? We get this messaging through society and through media that we have to have flat tummies, that we have to suck our bellies in, mm. right? Our core is linked to our pelvic floor. If we are told that we constantly need to have flat bellies and not take up space and we constantly pull our belly button in and we suck our bellies in, we are constantly activating our pelvic floor at the same time. So if you're someone who has that tendency to suck your belly in, to want to look thin, to, to have that tendency not to want to take up space, you're activating your pelvic floor at the same time. And then that's where that tightness, where that, that, that too strong of a pelvic floor comes in and you're going to start to experience those things of that incontinence as well. But I can definitely relate to this situation. I absolutely have a tight pelvic floor. And I was thinking literally after that episode with Megan, I was like, you know, as soon as coronavirus is over, I'm going to go see a women's health physio because if I, yeah. I, you know, want to have a baby in the next few years, this is such an important part of it. And so yeah. I'll definitely start thinking of ways to address this because, you know, even probably a year or two ago when in coaching, like when people speak about incontinence, they usually only speak about it in the sense of a pelvic floor being weak. It's yep. very, very rare that when people address their pelvic floor, that they're talking about it being, you know, too tight, too strong. And so I think it's a really important conversation for females to hear and start to be curious about as well when they're thinking about their pelvic floor and, you know, kind of which one of those camps or maybe in the middle, you know, some people might not have many pelvic floor issues, but I think it is incredibly common with females who train. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also that there's just an ignorance to the fact that it, that our pelvic floor can be anything but weak. I think that's probably a big thing as well is that, that, and I, and I feel like it's also this thing where they only associate it with women who have been pregnant and who have given birth. Like in my experience, and this is me being open and honest, I at times suffer from incontinence as well. Um, and it's not necessarily when I'm lifting. It's, it's that, and, and I feel like I'm definitely in that same camp as you and Megan is the fact that my pelvic floor is tight. It's overworking, mm -hmm. you know, and one of those things that, one of the things that I have taken note of for myself is the fact that I have allowed myself permission to relax my belly that it's okay to let my belly go because then that is going to mean that I can kind of relax that pelvic floor a little bit. And I've learned to become aware as well. I, I am someone who holds tension in my glutes. So I am acutely aware of where I'm standing there watching a client lifting. I'm tensing my glutes for no good reason. I don't need to. Relax. So excited. It's okay. <laughs> I know. It's like, oh my God, I'm getting the lift. No, calm down, calm down. Um, so yeah, so it, it, it's like just taking stock of your own how you're holding yourself, not just watching your clients, but if you are someone, just take stock. Do you hold? Do you hold your belly in? Do you um, do you do you squeeze your glutes a lot subconsciously for whatever reason? You know. And the other thing as well, which is just to throw a spanner in the works as well, is that think about the active wear that you're wearing too. Like how many times, how many how many brands out there have core control in their tights? That's basically forcing your belly to be sucked in. So pay attention to things like when you wear a particular pair of tights, do you feel like you experience more incontinence on those days than other days? 
or do you feel like your pelvic floor is a little bit weaker or it may just be tired on those days than on other days? Like there's all these little like just thought processes that you can, you can um, take into account. Yeah, that's so interesting. I had actually never even considered the tights being a part and playing a role in this as well. That's crazy. Just, just throwing, just <laughs> throwing knowledge bombs out there. Yeah, <laughs> things for you to think about. <laughs> just before we wrap up, I just wanted to touch on some important lessons or lessons that you find important that you have learned along the way working with women who are pregnant and also in that postpartum phase as well? As I was preparing for this podcast, this was a really cool question that I thought was, um, was cool to write, to write down a couple of notes on. Because in all honesty, I don't think I've actually reflected on it until now. So thank you for making me reflect on that. But one of the first things that I wrote down, and I feel like this is women in general, not just pregnancy, I was like, we are frigging resilient. Like we are amazingly resilient and I think that we consistently and constantly underestimate ourselves. I think that the, the other thing as well is that mental load and mum guilt are a real thing. Um, the amount of times that I have women who come in who feel bad for taking time out for themselves, it, it's heartbreaking and it, it, there's, there's no amount of cliche comments that we can say to them that is like, oh, you can't give from an empty cup and, and all that sort of stuff. It, it's, you know, it, it doesn't alleviate that guilt at all. I think you just kind of get better at pushing it to the side. Um, and mental load, like I think a lot of people, whether it's real or not, um, I think that it is, but I feel like that takes, women take on a lot more mental load naturally because they are carers and nurturers Mm. we take that on and then that affects our ability to be focused in the gym to focus on our training we are always thinking about something else so I think giving people compassion with that giving our clients our female clients compassion with that goes a long way knowing that when we walk into the gym we probably have 50 tabs open and the music's coming from somewhere and we don't know what the hell's going on Mm. you know and it takes a lot of mental power for us to be able to push that to the side and focus on on our training for even a space of an hour you know or allowing ourselves to be able to get to the gym for an hour without feeling guilty yeah and the other I think the other thing that I I wouldn't necessarily um, say that I've learnt, but I feel like it's just becoming more prevalent is this concept that we are not small men. Mm. We are different. And I feel like as female coaches, if we don't honour, like we come from a very male-dominated industry um, and a very male-dominated sport as well. Definitely. I feel I feel like we need to lead the way in honoring the fact that we aren't the same as small men. The way that we program, the way that we train, the way that we even down to a fine art of breathing and bracing, we can't do the same as men. It's not supporting our bodies and our system the same. We have to do it differently because we are different. That there is a lot of research and there's a lot of good coaches that have gone before us, but there's still information out there that that 
we're discovering and adjusting and trying to work out as well. I, I feel like if I was just, I was just going to stay on my soapbox and be like, the, the, and it's not just female coaches, like coaches in general, mm. the male coaches of our industry and the male coaches of our sport need to get on board with us. They need to stop being embarrassed about talking about women's pelvic health, women's health in general, the fact that they have clients who are mums as well mm. who are going, and, and women who aren't yet pregnant who are going to be pregnant. That's the thing. It's like don't just support them after, either while they're in it or after the fact. We need to set the groundwork even before these women get pregnant and then that provides the framework for them as they're moving through their different chapters. Definitely. I really loved how you were saying like we are not small men and that's absolutely so true. I think people when they probably first get into powerlifting and stuff like that, I, th I think as well because it is such a male dominated sport we want to be like we are like you we we can do this you know what i mean but there are just so many considerations when it comes to training for women to take on board and it's it's nothing it's not in a bad way it's just that this no. is how we are built like that is our anatomy and we have to really take that into consideration but I'm actually mm. really looking forward to, I think the next few years with female coaches, I think it's going to be really good. I think there are some really great upcoming coaches that are starting to definitely make their mark in the powerlifting world. And I'm just really looking forward to seeing more female leaders in that space. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I feel like it also needs to be as coaches and women in the sport in general, it needs to be a collaboration, not a competition. Um, we're, we're, we're all in the same boat together. We are trying to bring women up. We are trying to provide them with information, to provide them with support, to provide them with knowledge. And it's about banding together for each of us to provide our specialty so that these women have this beautiful package deal that they're delivered with. For sure. um, I think that just about wraps this podcast up. Is there anything else that you wanted to add? No, I think it's a good, it's a good teaser. I think uh, there's, there's, yeah, that's it for me. I think for now, for today. <laughs> where can people find you online? Yeah. So um, I've got my business pages. So uh, Dauntless Performance. So Instagram, it's just Dauntless Performance. Uh, same as on Facebook um, or my website, which is dauntlessperformance.com.au. Um, if you want to look me up personally, although it's not very exciting, um, it's renee.ludlow on Instagram um, and same on, on Facebook, um, just Renee Ludlow. Yeah, if anyone wants any help, I do offer virtual coaching. Um, so if anyone wants help with pelvic floor, pregnancy, postpartum, any of that sort of stuff, feel free to reach out. Yeah, and you also have a good free resource on your website as well, which I spent some time reading over the course of the weekend. So I would highly recommend people to head to Renee's website as well. It's going to be linked in the show notes anyways. So if you're looking for it to find it easily, it's going to be right there. But I definitely recommend downloading that guide as well because I learned a lot of good information nuggets from there. Oh, thank you. But thank you so much, Renee. My absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on, Shay. I really enjoyed it. And that concludes today's episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed my chat with Renee Ludlow. A reminder that part two comes out next week where we'll be talking to five different women about their experiences with training and pregnancy. And they are very, very open with me, which I appreciated so much. 
And if you're interested on following us on social media, you can find us at Women's Strength Collective 2020 on Instagram and you can find me at Beyonce. If you are interested in Chrissy King's course, please do get in contact with me over Instagram or send me an email and we can sort something out. But I will see you guys next time.